Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. If you want to listen to this episode or any of our episodes ad-free, you can do that now. Head on over to Patreon. Click on the ad-free level. You get all of our bonus shows that you've been hearing so much about. Plus, every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you can listen to this episode or any of our other episodes at the same time, ad-free, over on Patreon. Hey everyone, this is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined by the one, the only, Mr. Tom Arnold. Hey buddy, how are you? What is going on? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, thank you very much. It's uh, it's good to be here. I know you're a friend of uh, Leah Black, who uh, we, my son and I uh, went out to dinner with her, her, she and her family last night. I love her. You come highly recommended from Leah Black. That's a big. That's a big deal in my my world. I was just gonna say that exact same thing. The power of Miss Leah Black. You know, listen. I've wanted to talk to you for a long time, Tom. I'll be honest. And I was on the phone with Leah, and somehow your name came up, and she's like, "Well, that's a no-brainer. Like, you want to talk to Tom Arnold? Hold on, give me a second, and within milliseconds, here you are. So the power of Queen Leah Black." Yeah, here I am. That's how it goes. That's, she's the she's like a mob boss for things like this. And I told her I was very jealous because she told me last night when we were on the phone she was going out to dinner with you. She said, I have to go because I'm meeting Tom Arnold and his son for dinner. I'm bringing my son. She said you were going to sit outside in L.A. But I hope you guys had a great dinner last night. We did. We did. Thank you. We have to love L.A. life. I mean, it's a far cry from where you grew up in Iowa. Yes. Well, that's my segue, Tom, for saying when you were growing up in Iowa... Did you, you know, did you always know you wanted to be an actor and a comedian or, you know, did you have visions of, you know, possibly doing something else with your life? Well, I mean, I was involved. Uh, my grandma was involved with the Ottumwa Community Players, which is Ottumwa, Iowa. And uh, that seemed like a big deal to me. And so I, the first play I got to be in was The King and I when I played one of the, the kids. Of course, we had no asian people in our in our town so i would dress you know like an asian kid uh and i loved it and i remember this moment the woman that played anna the teacher this beautiful woman from our hometown mrs bickford at the end of the play i had my program and i went to her and asked her to sign it and she did and and then she kissed me on top of the head and i thought well if that's what you get from acting i'm all in you were like, sign me up. Sign me up, yeah. Because, you know, I first of all, I wasn't raised with a mother. So I was in love with a lot of older women, you know. And, uh, and uh, but this woman, yeah, sign me up. And, you know, I, I mean, you have to be crazy to be from Ottumwa, Iowa and, and go, yeah, I think I'm going to be a famous actor. I think I'm going to be a famous comedian. Um, because nobody does that, you know. And so, but I was crazy. And I did like it. And I went through through high school uh, involved with oral interpretation, which basically acting and competitions around the state and and uh, won. And I thought, well, maybe I could do this thing, you know, but my whole goal growing up, to be honest with you, was to be on TV one time. Uh, so the people in Ottumwa, Iowa would like me. And it turns out you can be on TV 
10,000 times. <laughs> There's people that don't like you, but I just thought, well, that all have made it when I do that. You just don't realize that until you're on TV 10,000 yeah. times, right? You're like, wait, yeah. this person still doesn't like me. What, what's what's right. going on here? Right. Yeah, quite a few people actually, but no, no. And it doesn't matter, but whatever it takes to get you, you know, I worked on, on the kill floor of a meat packing plant for three years out of high school. And that's a gruesome job. It was a good job where I'm from, but I realized at a certain point that I have to get out of here. Unfortunately, I got fired. And like as uh, as the way God works, I got fired. I went to a to a uh, I was going to community college during the day and working at Hormel the meatpacking plant at night. And I thought I missed out on the college experience. So community college experience is different than you know where at the University of Iowa where I ended up because the average age of the person is like 70 and uh, they're all retired and they're coming back to learn stuff. And the parties end at about 7 PM. So I called in sick. I went to a party with my buddies and it ended at 7 PM. And I'm like, that doesn't feel very college. -y. Let's uh, go streaky. And so we, you know, as, as people tend to do, we took off all of our clothes. We went to Mr. Quicks. This is in the winter, by the way, in December, wow. uh, nobody was there. <laughs> There's nobody in our little restaurant, so it doesn't count. And so then we went to the diner, same problem. And I said, I know where people are. I, people are at the old folks' home. Uh, let's go to Jefferson Square Manor because I know all the nurses. They'll think it's hilarious. And it turns out they did not think it was hilarious. And the police had already been called in our last place, so they were waiting for us. We kept busting out of there and jump into and it's three big fat naked guys so we jump in the back seat our buddy brownie is driving mo mike and i and to put our shorts on our pants and and we're rubbing butts and i'm like okay we're we're busted i'm gonna get out of my, hit the car and put on my underwear like a fucking human being okay and and as soon as i got out of the car the cop handcuffed me behind my back and that's how i went to jail and if you do get arrested for public nudity uh, in a small town, it will be in the newspaper, and you, your boss at Hormel will read it and say, "Okay, you called in sick, you're fired." So that was really, um, you know, it was kind of devastating because my grandpa had worked there 50 years, and people, you know, it was a good job, had benefits at the time, and and uh, but I had to think on my feet, and I think that's what's always been helpful to me is trying to be the best I can up here to be able to think on my feet. And I decided I'd walk 21 miles in my underwear to raise money because I was out of money for school. And I walked from Albia, Iowa to Ottumwa, Iowa in the middle of winter. And, uh, uh, and, and I, had a, I had a slogan from here to there in underwear. And it was the first time I was ever in the National Choir or the New York Times about this college student who put together, and I made enough money because I had sponsors Wow. And uh, and you know, I was like, well, that's a powerful thing. You know, you do this thing and you raise money and people film it. And and, uh, you know, you you you're clever a little bit. And so that was uh, the first time I thought, well, there is something there is something outside of Ottumwa, Iowa, because uh, up until and I almost gave up on all this because I thought, well, I'll just get married and have, you know, which I've done a lot anyway. But. Uh, I uh, I thought, wait a minute, how do you get from a tub Iowa to Hollywood? It doesn't make sense. I don't. And then one night I was at our disco and we had a when disco was popular. We had a disco called the jailhouse disco, which was ruined when my parents came with their friends and line dance. And that was the last time we went. But I walked outside of the, the jailhouse disco and, and I saw Andy Kaufman standing there and Andy Kaufman, brilliant comic. A taxi and all these other things, but he was studying transcendental meditation 20, 20 miles down the road at Fairfield, Maharishi International University, very close where I live. And he'd come down to wrestle women. We had a big women's wrestling event, which we're, we're known to do. And I met him and I thought, wait a minute, if he can get from Hollywood to Ottumwa, there must be a way to get from Ottumwa to Hollywood. And so I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try it. And so that's what happened. And you did make it to Hollywood. I did. Do you remember your early days in Hollywood, like the comedy circuit, like those lean years, like trying to break into the business, trying to make it? Well, I do. In the 80s, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, the early mid 80s, I because but the, the lean year, you know, 
I, I remember going to the comedy store and seeing all, you know, meeting all these people and being able to perform with all these people. But I also remember there was nobody and I didn't mind it. I didn't mind, you know, got, driving to uh, wherever to for 25 bucks and do a set. Or, you know, at the time at the improv, we got paid, I think, $12.50 per set. So, and the comedy store was the same. Yeah, wow. you've got to do a lot of sets to get to get uh, uh, even walking around money, but I knew this is the exciting place to be, and uh, I, I, you know, I loved it. I just loved doing comedy. I loved it. I loved all the crap with it. I loved, you know, all the nonsense. And and I look back now and go, oh my god, I would drive two hundred miles to sleep on somebody's couch and and think, yeah, I'm living the dream here. It's crazy, but I think you got to be that way. You know, when you're when you're younger, when you're first starting something, you go, I'm all in. I'm all in for the rejection. I'm all in for all this stuff, you know, because I love this and I love the whole thing around it. And, and it takes a lot to 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 do that. But if you love that and you're with like minded people, other people, you you know, you you network and get with other people that are in your position in the business and you share information and. Uh, and it's fun, and then you, you, you drink a lot with them, and have sex with them, and <laughs> do drugs. That there's a lot of that too, in the '80s for me. It was, uh, you know, it, it's. Uh, it, I hate to say, you know, I got into a lot of trouble, but I had a lot of fun too. I had a lot of fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. If there's one thing you guys know about me from listening to this podcast, it's that I like options and I like simplicity and I like convenience. And I have to tell you, Talkspace kind of feels like having a therapist in my back pocket. I'm able to reach out to my therapist anytime from anywhere, and that makes taking care of my mental health super easy. I'm more relaxed when I'm traveling. You know I'm in the Hamptons all summer, so I mean, I'm on the go. And I just love knowing that if I need to talk to my therapist, I can just send a message from wherever I am, and hey, they respond. Also, I gotta tell you, if you're thinking of therapy, you can sign up for Talkspace, and you can actually start therapy the exact same day. Like I said, simplicity and results. It's a fraction of the cost of in-person therapy. As a listener of this podcast, you get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com. Make sure to use the code VELVET to get $100 off your first month. That's VELVET and Talkspace.com. Well, that's what being young is all about, right? Yeah, yeah. And is this true you met Roseanne during when she came to see you while you were performing uh, comedy? Yeah, in 1983, I moved up from... Iowa to Minneapolis because Minneapolis had five comedy clubs and it was, it was a big city, you know, and uh, I moved up there because a guy, <clears throat> excuse me, a guy came down and performed with me at the Iowa student union, the wheel room, our place there. And uh, I opened up for these real comedians from Minneapolis. And what would happen is all my buddies would come in, you know, first of all, we drink Everclear punch, which is Everclear and powdered Gatorade. 50 of my friends would come in and watch me. And then we'd all get up and go partying and there'd be nobody to watch the real comedians. So the guy that owned a guy that owned the comedy cabaret in Minneapolis, Scott Novotny, he said to me, if you get your friends to stay for the real comedians next time we're here next month, I'll give you a job in Minneapolis doing comedy. I'm like, oh, hell yeah, I'm in. And so I, we did that. And then I got on a bus with a trash bag full of clothes and a hundred bucks and I I took the bus to Minneapolis and I went to the comedy, uh, uh, ga the, the comedy, whatever it was, and knocked on the door. 
I said, I'm here. I don't have a car or driver's license. And uh, I, I saw, and I have a hundred bucks. So I got to stay somewhere cheap. I need an apartment cheap. And he's like, why? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I said you could have a job. I meant one weekend right. for $17.50. I'm like, shit, I, I'm out of, I'm, I'm, I moved here. And so I went to the, there was a bar there, a famous, really cool bar called Williams Pub. And I walked down there. And they were looking for a bouncer and they were looking for bar back, you know, the, and, uh, and I immediately got that job. And one of the waitresses was looking for a roommate. And, uh, and then I just, I just stayed in there and stayed in there. And I sold, I sold sandwiches. I did whatever to facilitate getting to stages on night, that night. After a couple of years, I was able to, you know, support myself doing that. But when I first moved there, one of the first things that happened, the guy that, that owned one of the other clubs really liked me. Uh, <laughs> I tortured him, though. He weighed 700 pounds. And uh, he would he would get on stage, he'd be the MC, and then he'd leave the stage, and I'd grab the curtain and go, Scott, you forgot your pants. And, uh, and he'd say, please don't do that. My wife's here. And uh, But, like, she doesn't know. But but he was very – but he called – Scott, Scott Hansen said, listen – this woman I saw in Denver, she's coming to town. You guys are going to hit it off. So I want you guys to work together this weekend. And we really did hit it off. She was, Roseanne was so funny. I hadn't seen a, you know, a, a mom, a, you know, be that funny and that, you know, and the best part of all, she thought I was funny. And as you know, we know we're good looking, but if someone says we're funny, then they got us. And so, we that first weekend we just we tore it up we tore it up on stage but we tore it up we went we borrowed there's a woman named liz winstead who who started uh the daily show the 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 show that uh uh is on comedy central she started she's great she's great she's a comedian she was the mc and, and we borrowed her car and never brought it back and uh you know she it's a very but we hit it off and then I started writing, said, write jokes for me and, and uh, let's do this. I started writing jokes I'd never written for other people before, but her character was so well-defined, it was it was easy. And um, and then she said, I'm going to go on Johnny Carson, write, can you write some jokes? And I did. I watched her with my friends back in Minneapolis. My friend Roseanne was on Johnny Carson. This is 1985. And she killed it, you know. She killed it and it was so it was cool it was also cool to think oh i could write for someone and then they could do you know and and so in in 87 or 86 i went out to play roseanne's husband on a hbo special which was turned out to be a weird thing and uh uh you know it was great and then in 1988 at the end of 87 they're putting together her tv show and she wanted me to write it so in in uh, january of 88 i went out there to write and uh, on the show, and you know, there you go. Um, I mean, there's a million other things. First of all, after the pilot, there was a writer strike, so I had to go back to doing those little, you know, uh, driving all over for the little gigs around. Everybody kind of did a life uh, on a comic, right? Yeah, yeah. But I will say this about the writing of because I didn't know that Roseanne liked me, liked me, you know. I knew that she was going through a bad uh, uh, divorce stuff, and I really loved that she had kids. You know, I was like, this is a mom. You know, I grew up without a mom. I was like, this is a mom. I really dig how she does this. And she's out there. She's killing it. She's tough. And so I wrote a lot of jokes, uh, you know, back in the day that were uh, fat jokes, as we call them. And they were funny. And then at one point when I moved out to LA, she's like, I had a list of jokes. <laughs> she used to do a lot of fat jokes. But, and I go, here's the jokes. She's like, yeah, can you cut the fat jokes in half? Like, I'm, and, uh, and I realized and that's, I found out later she said that because she liked me. And, uh, but man, she had, you know, she had so many great jokes. But then, but, you know, then she's like, yeah, this is not, <laughs> our relationship has changed in a, you know, uh, a little bit. But it was a great opportunity. I got to work with great people uh, the second year uh, because people knew that Roseanne and I had been dating. By the way, I moved to, I moved to L.A. with my fiance from White Bear Lake, Minnesota, who Roseanne knew because wow. you're moving out there. And, of course, that didn't work out. And then Roseanne said in 89, hey, listen, nobody likes either one of us. We should get married. 
And I was like, that's a great idea. And so, you know, it was great fun. It was great fun. There's a lot of great, you know, great creative things, great fun. It seems like you guys like had very similar personalities. You got along, similar personalities. But you mentioned this thing about being a mom. Like that was really one of the things. Like the fact that was Rose, that Roseanne was a mom. That was one of the things that really attracted you to her. Well, I mean, yeah, that she kept it together. She was a mother. You know, she had a great relationship with her kids. You know, and uh, you know, and then she was out there just killing it doing comedy. She was so freaking funny, and her material was so good, and she was fearless, and. Um, you know, I, uh, that was a big turn on for me, you know, I, I mean, I, one time she was performing in Atlantic City at the Miss USA contest at during the same time. And she came out on stage in a bikini with uh, Miss whatever on it. Like that takes some balls like that takes that is about the funniest shit ever to me. And so I really, you know, uh, we both I think I think at that time we both probably needed each other. It was a. Uh, you know, because she'd never met a guy like me. Like, I came from the meatpacking club. Like, I had her back no matter against who, no matter what. And especially when the show started and they kind of messed with her, I just didn't have the finesse to. And I would say, uh, it's her show, whatever she wants. And she's, she's very good. And so if you're going to argue with me or her, it's going to be a problem, like, for you. Like physically, it's going to be, and people were kind of terrified, but eventually I learned to be that, that the way to work with uh, folks like that is bring in half of my buddy, half of people I do, comics, trade in to be writers, Norm McDonald, people like that, people that I lived with, and then get another executive producer that I that respect who will bring in guys. The other half of the, of the writing team would be old, old uh, how people with, uh, you know, experience in Hollywood. Right. And we meld them together. And and that's really what, what was the success of the show was, you know, these great writers uh, melding together. Because you could teach a like, comic, like Norm MacDonald, guys like that. Uh, there were there were so many great writers who have gone on to huge things. But if you're a comic, you know, uh, you just know that person is funny. You can tell who's the funny comics, who has a different point of view. And it's easy to teach someone to write a script because there's just a form, you know. First act, whatever, whatever, credit tag. And so I could do that, but they had to be funny first. They had to have a different skew. And then we all had to come to agree with, okay, these characters are very developed on the Roseanne show. We know who Roseanne is. We know who Dad is, Jackie. But we got to keep fresh material coming for them. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. And so, yeah, people did a good, you know, it was a good experience. Did you get pushback from like other people working on the show, like the actors and actresses? You know, you were with Roseanne, you were dating her. You know, did people say, well, here he is, you know, he has a part on the show now, not just a writer, you know, you know, that's favoritism, you know, well, that's nepotism. That's like, look at that. Like, did you get a lot of pushback, you know, with this, was there this perception, you know, you can't touch Tom because he's, you know, dating the boss? I, I you know, I did, and there was a lot of, uh, you know, especially when I first got involved, people going to Rosetta going, oh, this is a bad idea. This is, you know, but to her credit, man, she was, she had my back. And then, so, of course, I was going to have her back. There's just no, you know, there's no, uh, you know, so, and I appreciate that. Originally, she said, I want you to play my husband on the show, the John Gibbon. And so I was like, oh, I don't know if I could, uh, if I could act. But so I went out and met with Carsey Warner, the producer's to play the husband. It was, it Roseanne went with me, but it was, you know, I really wanted to be a writer and John Goodman is so great. And I was not. And so, you know, everything turned out for the best. And, uh, but they did mess with her so much. She didn't get created by credit on the show called Roseanne. That's about her life. And, and, you know, from that point on, it was, you know, there was no, <laughs> you know, she was on it. 
and uh, we certainly, uh, I certainly had her back on it, and, and it was also a lot of fun. So, what about do you have like highs and lows of memories? Like you said, like John Goodman is so talented, Sarah Gilbert is so talented, Laurie Metcalf is so talented. Just like from like being on set and being around all of that, you know, like the early days, you know, of you being on set of Roseanne. Like, do you have highs and lows like from that whole experience? Well, when we did the pilot. We all went out, John and Roseanne uh, were in the front seat and me and Lori were in the back seat. And we went out and got it, got wasted and went to see a comedy club or whatever. And and uh, I looked at the front seat and uh, John and uh, Roseanne were snuggling. And so Lori Metcalf's in the back seat. I like Lori Metcalf. I, I love her. And so, you know, we snuggled. And then the next day, Roseanne called me and said, oh, you come down to my office. She said, listen, I saw you and Lori uh, the back, and I don't know if you're holding hands or whatever. I go, oh, yeah, 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 that's a great night. She goes, no, no, here's the thing. Writers can't date actors. It's a rule of Hollywood. And I'm like, oh, shit, I didn't even know. Oh, that's a rule of Hollywood. Okay, I won't do that anymore. I didn't, she's, I'm just learning the rules here. And <laughs> the reason is because she... You know, she liked me. There's a lot of things I have to say. She did that. She stabbed me because she liked me. But that was very funny because I was very naive, too. And I'm like, oh, that's a rule. Yeah, that it, it does make sense that that's a rule. But uh, but there was a reason that, uh, you know, she just um, and every everybody ended up with the people they're supposed to end up with. That's for sure. Look at Roseanne having game like that's a great line. Right. And you believed yeah. her because you were naive. Yeah. Yeah, it's a rule of Hollywood. I'm sorry, I don't even, I don't know all the rules yet. So, but you know, it, it, it certainly our relationship. You know, it was very exciting to be. And I remember the first time that Roseanne called and said, "Oh my God, I'm in the National Enquirer. This is in the, I think before I moved out there." She's like, "Oh, this is so exciting. This is what I always wanted to do," and it was exciting for us. But I think there was a point where. We had uh, so much access to whatever media that we could call the news and they'd put us on and shit like that. And I think that what happened with the marriage is, you know, some marriages burn fast and furious. That's it. Some relationships just, you know, and 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 because we'd had a long relationship as friends, and and uh, and then we went to the being a couple for about five years, and. You know, it, it, it the stuff on the outside, the, the the publicity, the press stuff, the other people. You know, it was fun to fight that and to be, you know, to enjoy that. And and I think that it got to a point where it was became the the most significant part of our relationship. Like that outside stuff became more important than you know the the day to day stuff with us. And I think we both would uh, agree with that. And uh, she, might not, she might not agree with anything I say. I'm pretty sure that's true. But, but I, uh, you know, and then it was time to go. It, we both had done everything we could do in the marriage. And it was time to, uh, to move on. Do you think, like you said, like everyone ends up, you know, with who they are supposed to be with in the end? Or do you think, you know, it could have lasted longer if there wasn't all this outside, you know, media scrutiny? Well, I certainly got married to be married forever to this person. And, uh, you know, it was my first of many marriages, but I certainly went in with those intentions. I'm sure Roseanne did too. You know, I, I got to be a stepfather and I, I liked that. And we tried to have a baby, you know, we had a problem with the in vitro and she had her tubes reversed. And then we tried, which is very stressful. I have to tell you, uh, on any, uh, relationship tried going through that, trying to do that. Um, you know, I'm very grateful that she had a baby with the next guy right away, the normal way, because <laughs> you always worry you hurt, you ruin somebody's body because of all the hormones and stuff. But I think that, um, I, I think things were, uh, you know, it, could we have, have gone through and, and uh, put our heads down and done better? I'm sure. But um, I, I sense that that's just kind of, for her to leave her marriage, she needed to have me. And then, and then when, when we broke up, she had the bodyguard guy who I'd hired and I was relieved. I have to tell you, I went to, 
we she filed for divorce. It was a crazy filing that she did and accused me of all kinds of nefarious and awful things. And then a week later, she took it all back and said her lawyer made her do it. And so we tried to reconcile. We tried to spend time together. We went to Iowa to our farm. And, and uh, we planned to go to Sardinia for that summer, the summer of 1994. And uh, I had to finish my show. I had a show on CBS. And I already shut it down for a week, which meant hundreds of thousands of dollars I had to pay people. I said, I need to finish this show because I need to give it the best chance it can to maybe come back. There's a lot of people to work on this show. I had a hundred some people. And so she uh, was not happy, but she flew to Sardinia a couple weeks uh, ahead. And I, uh, a guy named uh, Alan Smith, who I remember uh, for the National Choir called, said, Ben, the bodyguard, and Roseanne are walking around uh, Sardinia uh, and Italy holy hands. And I was like, oh, I got to see that. So I get my brother, I call my uh, brother, Chris. He comes up. I go, we're going to Sardinia. Because I wanted to see it for my eyes, because that's what I needed to see. So we flew over there. And of course, the guy knew we were coming and people knew we were. Uh, and we landed in Rome and we get one one uh, off-duty uh, police captain, you know, somebody with a gun. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen when we get to Sardinia. And we land there, and as soon as we pull out of the airport, our car is surrounded by a bunch of cars and guys with Uzis. And there's like, she wants to talk to you. I was going to go to the hotel and relax a little bit before this confrontation because the villa that we rented was overlooking the ocean, uh, uh, way up high, very beautiful, kind of windy. So I'm like, okay, it's on. So we went up there, and you can see pictures of this. I think Liz Smith or somebody of these pictures from afar somebody shooting at the but she, we kind of had it out i was like hey are you in bed fucking you know and she's like you can no, say but yeah. I, yeah but she put her head down though and i knew they weren't and i was so i gotta tell you something i swear to you so relieved because i'm like she has somebody good because i don't trust me i'll keep going back and so ben ben's a big six foot four guy that i'd sent to Mossad bodyguard school unfortunately, but I had to make a move on Ben. And he, and he, and you know, I'm a big guy too, by the way. And he was, he was actually scared, but you know, you got all these guys with guns. So I get out of there and I tell uh, we, my brother and I, we go back to our, pl our place is very nice. And we're, you know, I'm very relieved. And the cop that was with us was like, that's no good. You know, in our culture, you know, the woman does not, uh, cheat on the man and the or especially the man you know him what what about him and i said uh, uh i go and my brother's very ordinary <laughs> he's like so what would you do what could you do for money and he goes well we'll take him when they land in rome to go back to usa we'll we'll plant drugs on him and he'll be in prison in italy forever <laughs> and i was like oh but no see that will work because then i would go back with her if that guy said and uh, and then my brother's like, what would you do for $10,000? And so when they landed, because I, I said, don't touch Roseanne. But we have pictures of this, too. When they went from Sardinia to Rome to fly back, um, eight cops came down and just tackled him. <laughs> and they did the full cavity search to whatever. They missed their flight, pulled all their shit out. They had a huge argument, which, you know, um, and uh and i thought well that's that's something because you know you gotta that's, that's something you know he is sleeping with my wife so that's something and you know he worked at a donut shop when i met but i was very happy for them in the in, you know they had a kid that that roseanne told me later is a big tom arnold fan so that's and i think i met him at her roast the only other time i've seen her since 1994 except in court so yeah so i thought well i've done my did 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 she know that you know you were the one behind this whole like tackle at the airport like plant these drugs et cetera, et cetera. Did, did she ever know that that was that that was you behind it yeah i'm sure she does and you think you might have kept going back and forth like off and on off and on if there wasn't this bodyguard guy we broke up the first filing that just accused me of abusing her and all this crazy shit and then she had to go public and say, I, I, it's just not true. Like it's uh, and then people are like, what is, and then, uh, then I went to, had this scene in Sardinia and Rome and then true lies came out in July of 
1994, and she called me and says, I really feel like I'm a part of that. Um, I, I think we should get back together. And I did feel like, listen, man, she's helped me so much. I mean, she didn't get me the, the audition or whatever for True Lies, but she has certainly helped me in many, many ways. And now she was asking me to uh, help her. And uh, by, you know, I said, I'll tell you, I'll, let's meet at our therapist and see if we can be friends first. And, and she done a lot of very shitty things to me, you know, like she tried to end my career. She, you know, she just did went so far out of her way to do shitty stuff. And uh, even at True Lies, I have a line about, you know, oh, about my ex-wife, what, taking all the ice cube trays out of the freezer. What kind of a sick bitch takes the ice cube trays out of the freezer? But it was little things like that constantly, you know, just messing with me, messing with, you know. Uh, but I said, let's go down and see if we can be uh, friends. And uh, it just, it's, it, uh, the therapist said, you have to apologize to Tom because of this or whatever. She goes, I just, it's just too much. And that was really the last time that we, you know, uh, really saw each other. And, uh, you know, and I made, always made it clear that I appreciate her. And, you know, there, you know, there comes a certain point when people are uh, fucking with you and putting you down and do it where the appreciation you have you know you're grateful for things but then the the other part of them is is becomes greater than than their good deeds and that's that's really something that that happened i tried to you know reasonably do the high road um you know um but you know i i'm not i'm certainly i'm certainly i've certainly made some mistakes myself what's like the sickest thing she did to you like as you said she took ice cube trays out of the freezer well no that was uh we were filming that, that really happened she would send people into the house we we're separated you know we we're filming true i was filming true life and they'd steal all the remote controls out of all the fucking tv remote controls, the batteries they steal all of them throughout the whole house and i'd get home from work and be like what the fuck this cat are you fucking shitting me but arnold schwarzenegger and i we're doing this health shake thing. And, you know, the first, right before we started the movie, uh, Jim Cameron, James Cameron's like, hey, do you want to work out with Arnold Schwarzenegger? And I'm like, yeah, I think I would like to work out with the greatest bodybuilder that ever lived. Yes, He's I like, am. I'm sending him to your house. I go, oh, shit. So he came over the first day and uh, and I opened the door and I'm, I see him standing there. I'm like, shit, Arnold, I forgot you're coming. Everyone I've ever met is here. Guys, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's working out with me in my unused home gym. So we did it. And uh, and and then that night, Jim Cameron called and said, what time should he be back tomorrow? Because, you know, he's trying to bond us up. I said, he should not come back tomorrow. And he says, why? I go, well, number one, I could say that I worked out with Arnold Schwarzenegger because we did it. But it's too much pressure because he does this thing. He is so good at working out at the body and knowing what's what. He More than anyone in the world. He really is about fitness and this and that. He's the guy. And he does this thing where he looks at you and has to compliment one part of your body. And then he's like, you know, Tom, you have fantastic left shin. And then he starts in on your trouble spots. I got a lot of fucking trouble spots, dude. I don't need to hear from him. And so the whole movie, uh, after our trailers were beside each other, then the other side of Arnold's trailer was a semi-truck that was retrofitted into a gym. And when we filmed in L.A., there was a, uh, a, uh, a Ben and Jerry's about the same distance from my trailer. So every night after work, we say goodbye. I go to Ben and Jerry's. He'd go work out in the gym. And, uh, uh, and, but I did start a shake thing with him where we, we took, you know, you had to have hundreds of ice cubes. Because I had to have one in the morning. I had to blend two, put them in these kind of frozen things and, and thermos, in these big supersized thermos. I bring them to work. There was vegetables, fruit some kind of powder and i had you know i had an ice machine wouldn't be enough and so i had maybe 40 ice cube trays that freeze so i come in every morning bam, 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 and I, walk, I walked in one morning and they were gone and and i i was like oh that's what they did to me last night that's the shit and i was so pissed off and i, I told and when i got to the set i said to cameron and arnold i go what the fuck you won't believe it 
what kind of a sick bitch takes the fucking ice cube trays out of the freezer? And then Jim Cameron's like, say that today in this scene with Arnold on the street here. <laughs> so, But it was very real. Very real. <laughs> Who thinks of stuff like that? That little weird stuff. You know, I think big. I think macro. I'm going to burn your house down. That's how I think. But no. I don't know. Taking all the batteries out of the remotes, that's that's a pretty good one. I have to hand it to Roseanne there. Yeah, it is. But also, it, not only that, I knew they were out at a certain point. I still tried to make the remote work. God damn it. What if there's this? Right? It drives you crazy. You're home. You're ready to relax. You're chilling out. You're pressing the remote. It's not working. What about, well, I mean, like, you've certainly gone on. You know, you've been in so many movies and so many TV shows. Like, and you certainly earned your career. I mean, you have a career in Hollywood. But, you know, back then, in the beginning, there certainly was this perception you know, and like, I don't want to overstate it, but I mean, like, I remember there was this perception, you know, that Roseanne, you know, handed you, said, here, handed you a career, like, here's your career. I mean, am I overstating that? I mean, is that, like, do you it's think- true. It's true, Bo, it's true. You know, I was 23 when I met Roseanne, and she was 30, and she was, you know, she's always was ahead of me in a career. I, and I never felt like, you know, because I remember people writing or asking, does it feel weird that your wife is- so successful and i was like no it feels great it feels great to have a, a wife that makes a million dollars a week i wish i had that today and she also was a little older than me and it started before me but there was never any and i never understand how this happens in a real relationship where that people let that competition now it's good to have some competition i think when chris farty was alive he and I both had were competitive with each other a little bit. We loved each other. He was my best man. But we also were like, oh, you got this movie for how much? Oh, well, I'm going to do, you know. And it's good to have that healthy competition because otherwise you could, you could sit on your ass all the time. And and so, but I, I think that the, the, the best part to me of the, of the relationship with Roseanne was that she was so happy to see me all the time. She definitely enjoyed me. And that feeling, part of it is probably growing up without a mother. I'm sure if you looked into it. But she would be so excited. And it was genuine. And, uh, and you know, I think I was hard to maintain. But, you know, we also, within our time, friendship, uh, relationship, we had a lot of intimate, a lot of stuff that we, that the, just the two of us, it could have only happened with the two of us. You know, uh, I mean, she loved me to impersonate her bedtime. <laughs> to, and I'm talking just uh, not the, the the kind impersonation, but just how fucking rude she was. You know, she would have done something that day, and I get to the bottom of bed, I'd start doing her, and she loved it. She'd laugh till she cried. And, you know, I highly recommend getting with someone that, that makes you laugh until you cry and you do the same for them. Well, I'm a gay man and I too would like a wife that makes a million dollars a year. So let me just put that out, you know, there into the universe today. Yeah, the yeah. Uh, I'd like a husband that makes a million dollars a year. Listen, I've been married to four women. Something isn't going right, you know. Do you think this would still be a big deal today? You know, I mean, if you and Roseanne came together in 2022, you know, very, very, you know, wealthy woman, you know, a man that may not be as wealthy at the time, you know, it was, was that a sign of the times, you know, if you guys came together now, you know, and you were with a much more successful, you know, woman, like, as you say, that makes a million dollars a week, you know, would that be such a big deal today? Like, have we come far or is there the same, you know, is there the same, would there be the same reaction in Hollywood and media frenzy today? Do you, do you think? You mean like Beyonce and Jay-Z? That's kind of how we were. <laughs> no, I, I, I'll tell you something about Roseanne, too. She was, she did not look like the people on TV. She was a big woman. And she looked like the people I grew up with, the people in my family, and the people in the Midwest. She looked like real people. And she did not, you know, she she owned it. And so, you know, it, it was funny because if you read, back on some of the articles they're like this guy is a uh, uh what, what is the word her young her hot young you know i was never hot or young and people tried to write it that way like look at this guy so good looking <laughs> just, just a couple of people did that and uh 
but you know we looked like we were a couple we looked like you're supposed to look when you're a couple that's how they look and we loved eating in fact on our honeymoon we went to Cabo San Lucas which is private resort and there was somebody else close to our cabana and they complained because we were eating too loud. I swear to God, you can Google that. But we had, you know, I mean, yeah, I think I wouldn't want to do it. You, you know, uh, I mean, I'm very I'm grateful everything went the way it did. Uh, I wouldn't want to do it uh, again, like go into something. I do need to have a relationship eventually. I haven't had a date in over three years. But, you know, and I do, there are some, some women that that uh you know are age appropriate that that i see sometimes i do these autograph things i'm like yeah that's yeah what you know there's several that i've become pals with that i'm like yeah let's you know let's do that but you know it's also you know uh when you meet you know i was uh up at cvs talking to a school teacher <laughs> that's a, the, how far my dating goes i go up to cvs and you know, age appropriate. And I kind of started getting the feeling like, hey, this is that tingle a little bit. And, uh, um, but but I thought, it, it, you know, it, it, there's always a, a beat to go, you know, I just had our next door neighbor, we had kids and I moved here to, to Sherman Oaks, come over and say, oh, uh, and we've lived here since June 1st. I brought me a, a thing of treats and said, I've been meaning to come over and uh, I just wanted to say uh, welcome to the neighborhood. I, oh, God, that's so nice of you and stuff. And she goes, and you are? I go, I'm Tom Arnold. She goes, I thought that. Okay. <laughs> and I thought, you know, there's a little bit of, uh, first of all, you never know what people think about you. So the dating thing, which I never did. I'm sure you dated. I never did. I went, uh, I had four engagements up until the time I, moved to LA and then four marriages. And in between those, there was a brief period of dating, like five dates in one week. And then I always felt I was cheating on that person. So I thought I gotta get locked into a marriage with a solid person, solid adult person that has my back. We don't always get along. We could be, you know, we don't break the big rules, but but has my back. And I just, I'm, it, it probably, I have more to work on with myself. Um, I will say this, I have married, uh, I have performed four marriages, uh, uh, all gay marriages, and they're all still married. And I have been married four times. I've been in four marriages and none of them are working. So my brother and his husband have been together 15 years. Wow. <laughs> and that's, uh, you know, I, I see that, you know, as a it was adults going yeah, this is a commitment like this is a thing you know because i think for a long time people grow up like oh i have to get married to i have to find a woman or a man and we have to do this thing i think people i think people are more thoughtful now and i can't you know because my kids are eight and six so i'm a single dad i'm 62 so there's that like first of all people are not like oh i'm looking for a 62 year old <laughs> but there's also i don't to bring people around my kids, right? you know, but it has to happen sometime. I'm always looking at the moms at school that have kids the same age that are the single moms. You know, they're usually a lot younger than me, but what you do, and I set up some play dates and, and to talk filthy with some of the moms because, you know, it seems like they're in a really nice school. It seems like they'd be, but they're filthier than I could ever be. And it's really funny, but, you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, uh, it's not my number one. I'm taking it a day at a time, man. I live my life a day at a time. Is that your go-to move, a play date for the kids? Yeah. Well, that's the easiest one. I like because that. Then the kids are doing something. You know, in my mind, this is bad. But but to get off the schneid, to break the streak, what needs to happen is the kids come, they're playing outside, you know, got someone kind of, observing we run in my bedroom hook up because she wants to do that done and uh but that's you know that's how my mind goes like where, where let's get into a closet here and i do recommend that in relationships if you don't have sex with your your mate 
fucking you get resentful, you get jealous, whatever. And every week or two weeks or whatever, you just have to go into a closet and do some kind of sex. Get it over. It's not gonna be perfect, but just do it with that person, the one person you have sex with. Do something. And then you're like, okay, okay, you know, chill. Guys, when you're in need and it's been a while, just do sex, according to Tom Arnold. See, this is why we love Tom Arnold. I mean, actually, just do sex in a closet, right? I can't disagree with that, actually, if you really want my honest opinion. Okay, so here's the thing. Thank you for listening to part one of this epic chat with Tom Arnold. Part two is coming soon, and we are going to talk about who Tom Arnold wants in Hollywood. And let me tell you, his answers are not what you expect. Listen, I think he likes older women. I think he likes cougars. I'm just saying. I mean, here's the deal. We also talk about the whole Roseanne reboot. Was he asked? How does he feel about being asked or not being asked? When was the last time he talked to Roseanne? What happened when Roseanne sent the tweets? How was Tom involved in the tweets? We then talk about how he is involved with the pool boy, Jerry Falwell scandal. He is involved with that. We talk about that. We also talk about he has a past. I don't know if past is the right word, but he's got some connections to everyone's favorite Kelly Dodd. I'm being sarcastic. You guys raked me over the coals when I had Kelly Dodd on the show. I'll still have her back, though. You know what I'm saying? That's what I do here. But he also has some uh, connections to Miss NeNe Leakes. So crazy NeNe Leakes story and crazy Kelly Dodd story coming soon and more about Roseanne when our chat with Tom Arnold continues very, and I mean very soon. Part two coming at ya soon. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're behind the Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon, because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me, and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.